Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very accomplished professional from the UK, Mr. Adam Kingle. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, Adam is an author, a keynote speaker, an educator, and an advisor. He's an authority on generational paradigms in the workplace, the future of work and capitalism, and he's an author. And all of you know I'm very partial to authors. He's an author of two books, which are titled Next Generation Leadership and Sparking Success, and we'll talk about his books. So, Adam, let's start by asking you a question. Tell me about your own journey in brief. It certainly isn't a journey that uh, I anticipated at the beginning. I think mm-hmm. it reminds me of there's a, I think there's a Yiddish proverb. If, if you want to make God laugh, show him your plans. So <laughs> I think my, my career definitely applies. Okay. I started actually in the arts. I was mm-hmm. in uh, the entertainment and media industry, wow. um, both on the creative side, ultimately working my way into the uh, business side. Mm-hmm. Um, I then shifted wholly into business, did, did my MBA uh, at London Business School, um, and then started working with companies on their leadership, creativity, their collaboration, their culture, mm. um, and started expanding my industry mm. uh, focus. So I became more of a generalist than specifically just mm. working with um, media and entertainment companies. Uh, I worked, I was the, in the leadership team for at London Business School for almost 10 years, then Duke University's corporate education, and now I'm a faculty member for a couple of different institutions and doing my own thing. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So when we when we stop recording, I'll talk to you about London Business School because my son did his MBA from London Business School. Oh, brilliant. But uh, let me uh, ask you that, you know, you talk about generational paradigms in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Help me understand what this means. And if possible, give me an example. Sure. Well, there's lots of literature out there on diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and that's all very important. But I think one lens that a lot of organizations ignore is uh, age differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sometimes we think of age as, well, when were you born? And mm-hmm. that's true, of course, mm-hmm. but it's a little bit of a cheat mm-hmm. because of course, it, it, you, not every uh, paradigm that you might apply to a given generation would apply to you individually. Mm-hmm. So I think it's more useful to think about what are what were the paradigms that existed when you grew up? because that will give you an indication of what you think about work, careers, life, leadership. It's not a substitute for getting to know people individually, which I think is the key, uh, a key responsibility of leaders. Hmm. But organizations often fail to distinguish those paradigmatical differences among generations. In Hmm. other words, they conflate what one generation wants out of their leaders, out out of the organization, out of their mission with another generation. Hmm. And that's when you get tension in the workplace about Hmm. proper leadership. I'll give you one very quick example, Mm. work-life balance. Mm. Now, I think it's safe to say that there are different views about work-life balance, typically among different generations. I think Mm. on the whole, I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating here, but Mm. on the whole, older generations still have a preference for uh, being in the office. I think there's great value in terms of cultural cohesion for everyone to be in the office. Younger generations often couldn't care less, right? Want to be in the office as little as possible. This is the digital generation. So they grew up always uh, being able to collaborate in a virtual environment. So they don't value the face-to-face interaction um, as much. But I think we also uh, 
and I talk about this a lot in the book, is we also though have to be very clear about how we're defining what we mean mm -hmm. when we say work-life balance. Because I've noticed that there are semantic differences among the generations around the phrase work-life balance. But that's a key area where we can start in thinking about how do we better manage the multi-generational workforce. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. And when you talk generations, of course, there is, you know, it, it's so neatly segmented by what I call the alphabet soup, you know, uh, Generation X, Generation <laughs> yes. Y, uh, and now we've got the, the Gen Zs, and now I'm told the Alpha Gen has started. But mm. when you look at the fresh perspectives that are being brought in by each successive generation, mm -hmm. do you see any kind of a clash taking place in these generations in the workplace? Well, there is a part of it represents, I think, the shift that's occurring in business around what is the point of business itself. Um, the interesting thing about capitalism is that it has a really great capacity to invent and reinvent itself. Mm -hmm. Capitalism has never been just one thing. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's already practiced very differently in different parts of the world. For example, Scandinavian capitalism is not practiced the same way as Anglo-Saxon mm -hmm. capitalism. Um, and I think you also see those kinds of differences among generations. Mm. So the youngest generation, I think, has a much stronger emphasis on purpose mm. in work, on um, the wider, you know, ESG responsibilities of business um, towards society and, and, and toward the world, not only shareholder value, mm. not only Milton, you know, Fried, Friedmanian um, maximize uh, value for, for, for shareholders. Um, and so, and so there we were starting to see that there's a shift occurring because initially it, that was simply tension mm. and people saying, well, you can't have that kind of a shift because mm. the purpose of business is business. Right. How, uh, however, with every analyst and every pension fund manager and every regulator that is now, you know, among Gen Y who have a greater affinity toward the view that business has to serve a, a greater function than simply maximizing profits for shareholders. Mm -hmm. So too will reg the regulatory environment and the public sector start to enforce and support organizations that feel that they have a wider view to play in society than simply uh, creating profits. Wonderful response, thank you. So Adam, you're also, uh, you know, an authority on the future of work. And my next few questions will be on the future of work. Let me start by asking you, what are some of the trends uh, that you see in the future of work as we move forward from 2023 and beyond? Well, what I've talked about, which is this, you know, the, the much greater emphasis on purpose. Mm. Uh, and Princeton University actually did, did a survey um, uh, a few years ago, and they found that over 80% of young high potential graduates say the number one thing they're looking for an employer mm. is a strong lived sense of purpose. Mm. I think that that's the word, the, the important word in that phrase is lived. Mm. So not only a good phrase, but can you find evidence mm. of, of that actually manifesting? That's one. The other interesting thing is uh, there's 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 a shift in the future of work in terms of how people are defining a career. Mm. It used to be very three stage, right? Education, career, retirement. But and and the portfolio career was often something that you pursued as you were at or nearing retirement, mm. or maybe from consulting and maybe you mm. work part time and maybe volunteer some time for a charity, etc. But that was something you did at the end of your career. Today, mm. there, are, there are young people just entering the workforce yeah. who, all, who want their career to be that portfolio career from the very beginning. Mm. Now that's very challenging for organizations then who are trying to recruit and retain 
full-time employee top talent. Mm. So those are two big shifts that I'm yeah. seeing. But there's another aspect that I wanted to, I thought I'll ask you based on your response. And that is that with improved healthcare, the the boomers, uh, you know, who are now in their early 60s, probably, uh, they'll probably live for another 30 years, which means that their life post superannuation will be almost equal to their working life. Right. So if one was to relate it to generational paradigms, you've got young people, the, you know, who are already wanting a portfolio type of work. The uh, older people are already lo- also looking for a portfolio type of work. How do you see this evolving, Adam? Well, yeah, well, just I just want to emphasize that point you made that because boomers in their 60s and 70s actually aren't retiring, uh, you know, at the rate at which we thought. Correct. And that's that can be a value, right, yeah. for for their for their employers who get mm. to retain that wisdom and those knowledge economies that mm. they've developed over the decades of having those people in the organization. Mm. But the but the other point is that organizations have to rethink their their structure. So, you know, if you look at a typical org chart, what you generally would have would be lots of little boxes, every box representing a full-time employee. Mm. Organizations can't assume that they can convince people to work for them for decades mm. as a full-time employee. I mean, that that paradigm is dying. Mm. And, or, and, and an organization can't unilaterally change it. Mm. What they can, therefore, do is reconsider what are the important uh, functions that occur in the company mm. for which we need full-time employees. Mm. I would say those are functions that are related to the non-negotiable, mm-hmm. the brand, mm. IP, mm. Uh, customer uh, pr- products and services related to the customer. Mm. But there's lots of other factors that occur in the company that perhaps don't have to be served mm. um, with full-time employees or by a swiftly rotating um, employee workforce. But I certainly see the, the, the org chart of the future is going to have much more people coming in on a project basis mm-hmm. uh, or on a temp basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 80% of the world's work is organized now in projects. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we, but we haven't yet re-architected how organizations respond mm-hmm. to a project-oriented um, way, way in which work happens. Mm-hmm. So if, people, if you want to bring in someone on a six-month basis, on a 12-month basis to fulfill a project, mm-hmm then you're aligning your talent strategy with um, your organizational process mm-hmm. uh, strategy. And then I think then you can have greater alignment. So part of the issues that companies face are less to do with how to retain talent and, and more to do with a discontinuity mm-hmm. between how they organize work and how people want to work. Mm-hmm. Great response. Thank you. Uh, the next question is, again, on what the pandemic has done uh, for the workplace. You know. It seems that the entire paradigm of going to the office, uh, you know, doing managing by walking around, uh, your coffee uh, coffee machine conversations, everything has changed. Yep. Do you see a return to status quo ante? Never. Mm-hmm. I think that those days are gone forever, mm-hmm. and 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 we can't will them back either, um, and nor can we pay them back. In other mm-hmm. words, well, we'll just pay people more, and then then they'll they'll work in this new manner because. Mm-hmm. Uh, I survey as part of my book, Next Generation Leadership, I surveyed Gen Ys, millennials, mm. right, who they compose 65% of the global workforce. Mm. And in th- two years, they will compose 75% of the mm. global workforce. Mm. And I asked them, what are the top three things that you're looking for an employer? None of those 
had to do with, uh, you know, like a raise or uh, like a, a, a tangible benefit. Mm-hmm. There were in, it was intangible benefits, work-life balance. This is one big reason why I don't think yeah. we'll ever go back to the way things were. Culture, mm-hmm. uh, you know, development opportunities. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so uh, we have to get used to a hybrid workforce in terms mm-hmm. of, of how we work. Yes, there are, I would certainly be the first to admit that there are good moments when you want people physically together, mm-hmm. when you're having creative brainstorming conversations, perhaps, mm-hmm. when you're having strategic conversations, when you're having town halls, you know, doing alignment, things like that. Mm-hmm. But just mandating that people come into the office without specifying the function that you're asking for them on the day or days that they're in the office is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Because if you just say, for example, every Monday, that's everyone in the office day. Everyone comes in on Monday because that way we create a hybrid and effective hybrid workforce. It doesn't create a hybrid effective workforce. All you're going to have are people sitting at their desk, you know, tapping away at their laptops, not talking to each other, maybe with headsets in. Well, they could all be doing that at home. So <laughs> yeah. what is the function that mm. they're doing? Why are you asking them to come into the office? You can't just mandate they come into the office mm. and expect that somehow you get greater collaboration or creativity. Mm, well said. And since you spoke about the hybrid uh, workplace, how will leaders need to evolve their own leadership styles to manage hybrid workplaces? Well, they certainly have to be much better at leading others in, in a remote manner. Mm. Um, I think it's a mistake for leaders to say, I can only lead people if I'm seeing them face to face. That's simply an admission of their own weakness. It means they're unwilling to adapt. Mm. It doesn't mean it's it's, it's not possible to manage mm. someone uh, virtually. And let's face it, we had two, three years where a lot of companies got very good about leading their people virtually. So I don't want to hear that it's impossible to lead people uh, remotely. It is possible, Mm -hmm. but you have to lead differently. And this is part of the challenge. It has to do with a wider assumption. And Mm -hmm. that is that we become better leaders solely through experience. Experience certainly helps us be more effective as leaders, but it can also be a handicap uh, if if we conflate the way we wish to be led with how others wish to be led. Mm Then you, then you start to have conflict um, and ineffective leadership and things like resignation crisis, engagement crises, uh, et cetera. Very interesting. You also spoke very briefly about culture. So I want to talk to you about culture a little more. Uh, you know, when you, and I'm, I'm now talking of, you know, four, four, four decades ago when you were large or in large companies, there's a certain culture that evolves because of the work practices, et cetera. In a hybrid workplace, how will culture uh, evolve for large companies? And what are the changes that you see? Well, I I think this is a great example where, like work-life balance, we should define what we're talking about. So for me, the best definition, the most elegant definition I've ever heard of culture is shared behaviors. Correct. That's it, right? Just two words, shared behaviors. Now, even if we work remotely or in a hybrid manner, I still observe behaviors, even if I'm not in the same room with people, right? I can observe your behaviors. Uh, you know, in, in any virtual meeting I join, I can observe behaviors. Um, uh, so that still occurs, um, but it emphasizes the point that leaders have to walk the talk mm-hmm. and that um, it can't just be a communications device. Mm-hmm. In other words, when organizations, I think, don't do culture particularly well, they think of it solely as, well, we have to define the mission, define the values, mm-hmm. and they create great, you know, it's, it's perfectly phrased mm-hmm. and they have lots of collateral, like, it's, you know, the, the values are painted on the wall mm-hmm. in the office. 
But if if those aren't lived, it doesn't matter. Hmm. So the much the harder work, but the much more important work is what is the organization that we need to be in order mm. to succeed, win, and have fun together? Mm. And what are the behaviors, therefore, that we have to make sure that everyone is role modeling? And as importantly, how are we as leaders and role models in the company, how are we going to hold one another to account mm. if those behaviors are not being lived? That's how culture is strengthened and adapted to suit the purpose of the day. Perfect. Uh, you also speak about the future of capitalism. Um, what are some of the macro trends you are observing? Uh, well, certainly a, a large part of it is a more integrated way in which society happens. Mm. Now, this has happened before. As I said, capitalism has a wonderful ability to reinvent itself. Mm. You go back to the Renaissance mm. in Europe, mm. you know, you had this interplay between commerce, arts, culture, public sector, faiths society all kind of working together mm. during the industrial revolution those things were actually kind of pulled apart and they no longer work with each other they actually just operated as almost siloed autonomous estates mm. so the what, what i what we're observing already is that the, these these estates as it were are starting to become more integrated mm. so issues that you would only probably talk about for example in a creative arts organization you start to hear much more of in, an, in a commercial organization, mm. things like we need to be more creative, we need more innovative, we need to be more adaptable, we need to be more inspirational, et cetera. Well, how do you do that? Well, if the estates work more together, then clearly there are lessons that the world of business can learn mm. from the arts uh, in terms of how we can work together in a way to maximize those capabilities. Mm. That's the subject of my next book, which is mm. Sparking success is, is just that 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 question so i do think the you know the purpose of work and the way work happens is evolving in much more of a about this renaissance manner of this humanistic direction of travel mm -hmm. interesting so let's now move to your books uh, before you i ask you about the books i'm going to uh, check i mean i'm assuming they're all available on amazon Yes, they are. The Spark and Success launches on April third, but will be available on on any with any major retailer. Okay, and therefore I'm going to ask all our viewers and listeners to go and check out Adam Kingle's books, Next Generation Leadership, which is available now. And on the third of April, go and check out Sparking Sparking Success. I'll go and check out the books myself. Tell me Thank a little you. bit first about Next Generation Leadership, and then we'll talk about Sparking Success. Sure. Well, Next Generation Leadership came out in 2020, so certainly not that long ago at all. But, but the research for it started 10 years before that, mm. when I realized that the way in which different generations approached work and what they wanted from work was, was different. Mm. But then the question I asked myself, is it dramatically different? So, for example, you know, with baby boomers and Gen X, are their paradigms different, but si still sufficiently similar that mm. they know kind of how to work together? And I think mm. that that's the case. But Gen Y's millennials seem to be so different that it was actually creating tensions and discontinuities and perturbations in the workforce. Mm. So I wanted to uncover what those paradigms were, mm. A, so that we can better manage this huge generation, as I said, soon to be 75% of the global workforce. Mm -hmm. B, you know, how do we better retain that? top talent from that mm -hmm. generation mm -hmm. see if we understand those paradigms that would allow us to peer into what the future of work will hold mm -hmm. when gen y's assume leadership of their companies in their own right mm -hmm. so those are sort of the three um questions that i wanted to answer with next generation leadership i did right. so by doing survey 
surveys of not just any random Gen Ys, but high potential Gen Ys. Mm. So the top talent um, that, you know, their organization said, these are our leaders of the future. They came from all over the world, 44 different countries. Mm-hmm. Then I did follow-up surveys to understand in more detail, anecdotally and qualitatively, why they gave certain answers on the mm. survey. Mm. And then I followed up um, with interviews of like their HR departments, their line managers, senior executives, etc., to mm. see where there were similarities and where there were tensions mm. um, in order to create this sort of template or workbook for how you might better lead Gen Y in the future mm. to be a, a, a top recruiter of top talent mm. and how you might need to adapt how you manage work in order to be fit for the future. Mm, wonderful. And for the book that's coming out, what was been your hypothesis sparking success? So, so for that one, it had to do with um, it had to do with my, my I found two really interesting surveys mm-hmm. that happened that occurred in about 2015. Mm-hmm. And, and this created a question in my mind. Let me first like, I'll explain the surveys. Mm-hmm. They were done simultaneously, but unbeknownst to one another. So mm-hmm. they were completely separate. BCG did a study where they surveyed CEOs around the world and they said, you know, what are your top three priorities? Mm. And over 90% of CEOs said, in some way, creativity and innovation was a top three priority Mm -hmm. for Mm. them. At the same time, McKinsey did a survey, not of CEOs, but of rank and file employees all over Mm. the world, Mm. asking them about creativity and innovation in their organizations and how they assess their organization's creative and innovative performance. And these people said, and again, huge percent, vast majority said, we're very bad at it. Mm. We're terrible at creativity and innovation. So isn't that interesting? CEO, vast majority of CEOs say it's a top three priority. Vast majority of their employees say, but we're bad at it. So I, I'm not sure there's a bitter, bigger gap mm. in the workforce today between the aspiration mm. and the reality mm. of, of a condition. And in this case, the condition was creativity and innovation. Mm. So then the question I had to ask myself is, well, how do we address that? As I said at the beginning, I used to come from the creative arts. That mm. was my first career. Yeah. We had an abundance mm. of creativity. Mm. Leaders knew how to lead creativity and innovation Correct. and how to create processes, incentives, et cetera, that could thrive. Mm. Was there anything they were doing that were that was idiosyncratic mm. to arts organizations? Mm. Or could those leadership habits be applied in any industry, no matter mm. how traditional that industry may be? Mm. So that's what the book sets out to explore and to create very simple leadership habits that any individual can do, no matter how junior or senior they are, in order to enhance the creative capacity of their team, of their department, or of their company. Wonderful. And my last question to you, Adam, and this is for the many, many people who will listen to our conversation. Um, based on your own incredible journey of you know, moving from so many different industries to you know, writing your books, to the future of work, future of capitalism, what would you say are three lessons you would want our viewers and listeners to take away? Yeah, it, if I could, I just, if I could paraphrase your question uh, just slightly to say, uh, mm-hmm. this is a question I get a lot, which is, what are the three characteristics okay. that leaders need to have today? Mm-hmm. Okay. One is humility. Mm-hmm. So this goes back to my earlier point. Don't conflate what you want from leaders yeah. with what others want from leaders. So be mm-hmm. humble enough to find out what others seek from you yeah. and be prepared to adapt mm-hmm. to the individual and the occasion. Two is creativity. Mm-hmm. We know creativity is a huge priority. Organizations need to adapt faster than ever before. Mm-hmm. But an organization cannot change unless its leaders are personally willing 
to change. Mm, mm. And that requires leaders to be highly creative, mm. highly innovative, highly adaptable. Mm. And the third is humanity. So mm. I think leaders have to be filled with humanity. Mm. These qualities of empathy, mm. um, these qualities of understanding their ind the, the individuals that, that look up to them as human beings. Mm. I'm not a big fan of the word human resources because it implies, for example, that, you know, this, uh, this pen is just as valuable of an asset to the organization mm -hmm. as a colleague. So I think we have to sort of re refocus our effort on seeing the human being behind the human resource. Mm, well said, well said. And on that note, Adam, and your three amazing uh, characteristics that you spoke about for leaders, humility, creativity, and humanity and empathy. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your own journey. Thank you for speaking to me about the future of work. I think I learned many, many new things from you today as you were talking about what you foresee as the work of the future. Uh, thank you for speaking to me about your books and wish you all the very best for the launch of Sparking Success on the 3rd of April. Thank you again thank for you. speaking to me and good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.